spend some time with him. And I, I don't know if I was trying to encourage him to do the same thing. And he just laughed when I mean, he says, Dad, you remember what it was like to be a dad? <laughs> like, you just get like dreaming. He's just laughing at me because he knows. He says, Dad, it's all I can do to just like maybe put up with him. Making a stir at six in the morning, and you know, I mean, not to lose his sanity by six thirty. So he's like, he's got to be up. He's got to be where I am. He's got to be busy with me. And yeah, we kind of laughed. But I mean, this is a this is a young man, my son, who who also likes to hike those kilometers into the bush and and build camps and chase big game. I think that's his kind of version of getting away. Spending some time with God. God seems to reward his efforts all the time. This weekend, he sent me a picture of uh, two uh, four-point bucks that were falling into one another and a couple of rifles laying over them. He said, yeah, we got these 100 yards from the camp. He said, <laughs> for you hunters, you know what that means. He loves hunting. He feels an affinity. He feels close to God. Doing this thing. You didn't learn it from me. My dad tried to take me bird hunting, but I was like, I was not even into that. That wasn't going to happen. I didn't take my camera with me. I think it was part of his great letdown as a father. <laughs> oh boy. I'd sooner draw them than shoot them, you know, that was me. Be the light of God's salvation. This is the title for today's uh, sermon from Philippians, our, our walk through the letter from Paul to the church in Philippi. But I want to I start by, by just getting you to look at um, some sayings, and then I'm, I'm just sort of ask you, which would, which would you prefer to hear this morning? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Live as God's children. Shine brightly for Christ. Rejoice with me. Which one would you rather hear? You'd rather take the latter, huh? Well, you're going to hear something about one or all of these statements today. And we're not, we're not going to, you know, purposefully camp on we each one for so many minutes. And, you know, I'm just going to let the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit speak to you when we get around to actually reading our verses today. But as far as statements go, all of them carry sort of a weighty and, and sort of primal message, don't they? And strangely enough, all of them are actually taken from today's passage in Philippi. This morning, Cheryl will be the it's going to be our last sermon presented from this series in this year. In the new year, we're going to pick up at some point where we left off. But beginning next week in December 01, we're going to shift our attention. We're going to focus the attention of our hearts 
on the birth of Jesus and on the second coming of Christ. That is, after all, what Advent season is all about. But I would suggest to you that not unlike the season of Advent, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi offers Jesus' followers a reason for unwavering joy. And an anticipation that celebrates both the good news of God's kingdom that has been revealed through His Son, Jesus, and then His Son, Jesus, His soon return, the King, when He comes again. That's, that's, you'll find that all through Paul's letter, but you will find that as we step into Advent in December. I think it's just this really nice segue that happens here today. But see, there's another thing that happens to me when I read Paul's letter to, the, to Philippi. I see a device being employed, just like Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. I feel Paul employing a, a, a type of literary device from his day that both opens and closes his letter with similar themes of thanksgiving and joy. It is focused on God's holy people and on God himself. See, I think by implication, Paul is inviting us as his Jesus followers to be thankful, to be rejoicing with him through everything that we experience in this life. And in between our reasons for thanksgiving and our rejoicing, be thankful in the good news of God's salvation that has been revealed through Jesus Christ. Thankful for the partnership that we share in defending and sharing God's love with one another and for others from beyond the walls of this place. And yes, even be thankful for the partnership that we have in our faith and as we learn and in our suffering for Christ. Multiply times. Paul references joy in his letter, doesn't he? I don't know if any of you have taken some time lately to read just through that little letter to the Philippians, but over and over that word continues to come up. And here, for the third time since we begin his letter, Paul again is going to make reference to the day of Christ's return. The day of Christ. It's a direct reference to the day when Jesus returns to earth and his true identity and his kingship is finally revealed to the whole earth. That hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. Yeah. But effectively what Paul is asking us to do is keep God's kingdom and Christ's return always before you. Encourages to let his present rule as God's revealed king and the certainty of his second coming fully govern over your entire lives. And not just you as individuals, but us as the body of Christ. Let Jesus and the fact of his return and his 
reigning and revealed to you in our midst. Let it be the focus of our hearts. Let the knowledge and the power of God's love and Christ's return have dominion in this place in your minds. even in our worship here today, together as the corporate body of Christ, let that presence of God influence every thought and over everything that you've determined to set this on, to set your hearts on this year. Let the reality of Christ and His kingdom here now and His second coming be Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Do everything without complaining and arguing, so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life, and on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run this race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share my joy. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Wow. Now let me start by first telling you what that is not. This is not Paul's invitation to entertain any thought that our salvation is somehow earned. Like it's far from it. This is, after all, the same author who pleaded with the Ephesians not to fix their hope on any form of salvation in God except this. And he says it in Ephesians, doesn't he? It's by grace you've been saved through faith. And it's not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Four spiritual tracks would pause with us in our little tracks, and we would ask that that opening question with people who were bold enough to let us through the door. If 
you were to stand before God and he should ask you why I should let you into my heaven, what would you say to him? Or what would you say? He says, redouble your efforts. Be energetic in your life of salvation. Be reverent and sensitive before God. He's reminding that something, isn't he? We don't want to be mistakenly caught up looking in the mirror thinking we have to somehow work ourselves into personal perfection. I don't know if you've tried that recently. As you get older, that effort just becomes more and more. If we're just talking about the outward appearance, eventually you give up. You know. If you're 20 something, you're laughing at me, but you wait. You're trying to pull yourself just out of bed. idea that we're looking in the mirror thinking we're going to work ourselves into this perfection, making ourselves good enough to warrant the grace that we've received. But what Paul is saying that Eugene is picking up on is that we are invited. Paul in this section is inviting us to recognize the power of God who is miraculously at work in your life. If you're here today, it's because God is at work in your life. I don't know that you've said yes to Jesus yet. I don't know that you've fully discovered all of that. I, I don't know that I have. In fact, I'm pretty sure I haven't figured it all out. But if you're here today, it's because God is at work in you. We're invited to recognize this power of God that is miraculously at work in our lives and in the lives of all of us that are gathered here. God wants you to see that in yourself and he wants you to see that in one another. And then, having recognized it, he said, come and partner with me in this. Come and partner with the work of the Holy Spirit in you.
everyone that he sees. There's no message to us this morning. Jesus loves us. He loves you. I like the us because it's inclusive of the whole body. I think that that's, that's an important message for us. He loves this body. He loves us. He loves it when we do us. Fellowship to bring about total and complete healing and deliverance of your whole person. And in our lives as a fellowship. You may not know this, but even fellowships need to come underneath his headship and his healing. Like a personal trainer. I know what that feels like these days. God has come alongside all of us to bring about complete, total, finished relational healing. He's come about to bring about complete and total healing and connection with Him and with one another. God wants healing for us. You don't have to beg Him for it. He wants it for you, and you, all of us. And He wants healing for our entire household, for every home that you represent. Broken or unbroken as it is, God wants that for you. But he calls us to partner with him. Not to just simply stand back. There's a point when we have to stand back and let him do what he does. But he's saying, enter in, partner with me. And he said, now call. He calls on us to persevere in our trust in him. One of the ways that we do this is by being faithfully obedient to Him in all of His ways, regardless of whether it makes sense or and certainly not because it's easy, right? Well, this isn't easy. I'm, I'm out of here. When you make this a little easier, God, I come again. I'm Trust and obedience, they, they kind of go hand in hand, don't they? Okay. We're only going to be a little Greek today. Just one word, you guys, so don't sweat it. Straight faith, straight from Google University. Anybody want to try and say what that word says? Any Greek speaking folks in here? Sure, I like that. 
You see that kind of intro? Have you got like a Greek tongue slipped in it or something? Kind Literally, work down to the end point. Bring to de- decisive finality. I love that. Work, accomplish to an end goal. God has called us into the deep, into a singular obedience to Him. And it's to be pursued with absolute determination to never give up on yourself and never give up on another or one another. He wants you to be as determined for yourself as you are for your brother and your sister. somebody ever turns to you and asks you, why on earth are you in my life? You can say to them, I'm here for your protection, brother, for your perfection in the work that God is doing. He says, this is why I'm here. You ask God for help and he sent me. You're not perfect yet. Exactly. That's the point. I'm not. So you have to extend me the same mercy. Love covers over, doesn't it? It does. What I believe Paul is encouraging the Philippians toward, and what I believe we are being invited into, and I believe it's for us, you guys. We are being invited into an investment that will pay eternal dividends. I believe he's asking us to invest everything of ourselves. Maybe we would say to invest everything of yourself into your own spiritual growth and your maturation. And as so as you are invited into the lives of others and look for that invitation, don't barge your way into people's lives. It's like somebody. Jesus when he came. I mean, he called, and he called them out. But you can only lead people who are willing to follow. He's a shepherd. By the very nature of the fact that he's a shepherd, there's a knowing. There's a knowing in someone, there's certainly a knowing in Christ. That's what attracted us to him. We, we heard him some way. I don't know how it was. Maybe literally, physically saw him. Felt him. Something was revealed to us that said, This is the guy I need to follow. There's a knowing in you. you know, we, need, we, need that, we need to be invited into people's lives to speak into their lives. I've known people who have barged in. 
invited in. God wants us to invest ourselves not only in our own spiritual growth and maturation, but He, but so far as people are, are willing to invite us in, He wants us to invest ourselves and our lives in one another, right? And then He wants us to keep at it. Don't give up. Don't give up until we receive the fullest benefit and measure of God's grace and His saving work that was purchased for us through Christ's sacrifice. Do I need to say that again? Don't give up. What is it, this thing that He's given you in Christ? I say, don't give up on that. Pursue it all. Pursue the fullness of His healing and His salvation and His restoration and in your life and in the life of one another. Keep at it. For Debbie and I, I, I thought back and it's, you know, it's just, it was interesting as I started putting pen to paper and thinking about it, all of these names and faces started coming up to me. For Debbie and I, it's, it's like it's looked like determining to love and stick by one another. Through the best, and what was prayed over us during our prayers this morning, and even in the toughest stretches of our marriage. And then through the struggles of raising our children. In our communities of faith in the past, sometimes it looked like us opening our home to strangers and to family members in the body of Christ. You know, I can think back, I can think back to a home where it became a shared home with a single mom and her two children with the burden of finances and a roof over their heads just being too much to bear on their own. So there was a season, there was a couple of seasons. But as much as it put a stress on our household, it was a joyful stress. Things weren't perfect in her little family, and that came into the home with them. became part of our family. And together, we bore one another's burdens, and I believe fulfilled the law of Christ. Sometimes our home has been seen as those overnighters for teenagers whose own home life is turned violent. When they have like nowhere to go. They just thought they were getting a dad. They didn't know that they would come and have people who were just loving them too. And see them for who they were. It became a place of multiplied shared meals. Lots of stains in her rugs, you know. And that's why we've done the hardwood now, I remember. And it became a place of multiplied evenings throughout the years, and especially, especially during the days of the Holy Spirit's outpouring in our city, when we would gather as the body of Christ to fellowship, to teach, to, to counsel, to 
pray for one another, to practice deliverance for one another's lives, to just see God take more and more and more of us as we learn to give to Him. And too often to count, we would, we would practice our faith into the very wee hours of the morning, like into the next day. tired just thinking about it at 50-something. That's what you can do when you're 20-something. Even 30-something, you can. 50-something? And so much of this time was spent on weekday nights. When I had to be up at 6 a.m. for my one-hour bike commute to work, and then they would have to get up early to feed those kids, to dress them, to make their lunches, and then to drive them to the bus so that they could catch their, you know, 25-kilometer ride into school. We did this, not begrudging that it was something we had to do. We groaned sometimes. When that alarm would go off. But it was worth it. And it still is. We did it because it was like entertaining Jesus himself. It was like entertaining certain joy. Something incredible had taken place in all of our lives, and it simply had to be shared. This life of Christ in us must be shared. We did it because we caught and we tasted the kingdom and the presence of God and His love for us. And we were committed to meeting because that growing love that was inside of us. It captured us. Caught us. And gave us a love for one another. That's, I don't know how you, what you do with that. See, the real reward for Debbie and I, the real reward is seeing Christ Salvation that is at work in you and in one another. And knowing that all of us, in some fanciful way, are all playing a role in seeing people working it all out. That thing of salvation. I haven't experienced anything more exciting than seeing a person waking up to their true nature and calling as a child of God. And then, helping them to walk that out. You know that children need your walk with them, right? You know, we're all children. And there are times when we just need to walk alongside us. Just like the walk. So many lives touched, so many lives literally changed and transformed. 
And this mind of mine immediately goes to the picture of at least one of our children being birthed. This is what comes through my mind. It's the wonder of it all. This wonder, this newly resurrected life that has been snatched from the fire and Man, I tell you, this isn't something we ever want to set aside. We always want to be caught up in that wonder. And today, I want us to pray that the Holy Spirit and Jesus will capture our hearts again for that kind of wonder, that kind of crazy way of living life. This life-transformative work of Jesus in us what he's doing is a beacon of light to the world around us. Philippians 2, and I captured this all, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. which I used to be one. I like the way that N.T. Wright puts this. In the middle of a twisted and depraved generation, you are the beacon of hope that this world needs. You are the sign of God's beauty in a world that is all but defaced it. That's poetry. See, while Paul may not have been directly quoting from his Old Testament scriptures, he is pointing to a heavenly revelation from the celebrated Jewish prophet and scholar Daniel. You remember him? Well, Daniel was told that a day was coming when those who were wise, in other words, those who were skilled in knowledge and application of God's law, I mean, living it out, It's prophesied that they would shine in the world around them, and especially at those times of persecution. This is Paul, remember, encouraging the church in Philippi, who's experiencing exactly some of that. We are called to create some contrast to a darkened world, but we are called to be a light and a sign of God's beauty. A sign. We're called to be a light and a directional sign of God that says, this is the way to new life. And yes, you're right, it looks different than anything you've ever seen before. Because it is. He's different than this world that we live in, and that you live in, and that you've been trying to figure out who you are in. This is the way to new life in a world that only knows the way to death. Let your life be your testimony. Concluding where we began, Paul is telling his Philippian friends and he's telling us you need to press in to Jesus. 
imagine what you're going to find as you do that. And we need to press on into living as children of God, as though you belong. Because you do, every one of you here, you belong to God. Essentially, Paul is telling his 